Welcome to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And for more than 10 years with SNN, I've been doing interviews with microcap management teams at investor conferences globally, as well as online. Our SNN Live CEO video interviews are meant to pique interest, and then one can discover more by going to that company website. But personally, I always have more questions I want to ask. On this show, I'll be chatting with public company executives from microcap companies, and we'll dive deeper into companies that are rarely profiled. Microcap traditionally is overlooked, unloved, and absolutely never featured on legacy financial media outlets unless something material is going on that's a good story. With my experience interviewing management teams, having interviewed most of them before, I've built up a network of companies, so there will be no shortage of content. Furthermore, this is an opportunity for me to showcase some of the qualitative lessons I've learned from guests on the Planet Microcap podcast. You can expect high quality interviews with management teams that may have exposure to broader macro trends that you may never have thought of. One of the many reasons why I love the microcap space. So if you love microcaps and especially love learning about companies before the professionals do, let's start our due diligence. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Larry Heaton. He is the CEO of Zometica. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is Z-O-M on the NYSE American. Zometica is a veterinary health company creating therapeutic and diagnostic products for companion animals. The company engages in the development and commercialization of the true form of platform, which offers point of care diagnostic products for disease states in dogs and cats and PulseVet, which provides for treatment of various musculoskeletal issues such as broken bones, tendonitis, and torn ligaments in horses and small animals. So Medica has collaboration agreements with Celsi Inc. for the development and commercialization of liquid biopsy assays and related consumables for the detection of cancer in companion animals and Seraph Biosciences Inc. for development and markets, a novel pathogen detection system. According to a 2018 research report by Grandview Research, and I quote here, the global pet care market size was estimated at USD $131.7 billion in 2016, and is expected to grow with a CAGR, CAGR of 4.9% from 2016 to 2025, end quote. Furthermore, a 2021 ASPCA report noted that, end quote here, 23 million American households acquired a pet during the COVID-19 crisis, end quote. I've seen Zometica at many financial conferences. However, this is my first conversation with newly appointed CEO, Larry Heaton, who started this position in the company in October, 2021. And I wanted to hear his thoughts since joining the company, how the company is addressing the pet care market, as well as their full slate of diagnostic and therapeutic products, how to evaluate which assays to bring on board, regulatory differences between human and animal health markets, and their capital allocation strategy. And with that, please enjoy my conversation with Larry Heaton, CEO of Zometica. 
Welcome everyone to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today is Larry Heaton. He's the CEO of Zometica. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is Z-O-M on the NYC American. Larry, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Now, I, I've seen Zometica present at many events over the years. Uh, I'm, I'm familiar with the story a little bit. Uh, but for those who may not be following Zometica, I, I always like to start off each podcast with that one line that the company does. So can, can you give us that, that one line about the company? Sure. So at Zometica, we market therapeutic and diagnostic products that enable veterinarians to improve the quality of care for the pet patients that they treat, and also benefit the pet parents and the vet practice itself. Very good. Can, can you provide us an overview and history of the company? You know, what I, I know you, you just joined a, a recently, but you know, what, what was that original problem Zometica was looking to solve and, and how has that evolved or changed over time? Yeah, sure. So Zometica was originally incorporated as Zometica Pharmaceuticals Corporation with the intention of developing drugs specifically for animal patients. Once the company got deep into that effort, they realized that this market, these patients were actually well served by existing animal health pharmaceutical companies and actually mostly by veterinarians using uh, human health drugs to treat animals. So at that point, they evolved Zometica's mission to focus on diagnostic instruments that can provide a lab result necessary for diagnoses at the point of care within about 20 minutes providing the veterinarian with results while the animal was still in the clinic. They recognize the significant benefit of a, to the pet of a faster time to diagnosis, which allowed treatment to begin earlier. And they also saw the benefit to the pet parent by not having to return to the clinic to get the follow-up results of the lab and then the, and then the treatment to be begun. And so the practice also benefited from the economics as well. And so from then, the company began to focus on diagnostic products and other potential products. And the key is that they want to benefit the veterinarian, the pet parent, and most importantly, the pet. Got it. What, what were your initial thoughts about the business before you came aboard? Because I'm sure you, you had seen it out there a little bit, but then, you know, as the talks were going on, what, what were your initial thoughts? Yeah, so having spent my career in up until now in the human health area, I had a bit of a misconception about just how large and well-developed the animal healthcare market is. Uh, it's proven to be populated by dedicated, committed, professional people that care just, about, just as much about the customers and the patients that they serve as in human health. Now, <laughs> I will admit that uh, I was taken a little by surprise when I visited uh, vet clinics, just as I previously would visit physician offices and heard the patients barking, not something I was used to. Uh, but in every other respect, I think that there's a, there are really much more uh, similarities uh, than there are differences between the two marketplaces. I mean, look, let's be real. There's been some physician offices you've gone to where you did hear some barking. <laughs> let's, let's be real. Right. Like that's, you never know. Could have been. <laughs> so you, as I, as I've already alluded to, you were recently appointed CEO in October, 2021. You know, what originally attracted you to Zometica and how has that original thesis 
for joining change or, or evolve over time? I mean, it's only, it hasn't been that long, but, how, but it, it could have changed. <clears throat> yeah, not much more than 100 days in. I joined in uh, October of 21, as you said, because uh, I felt, frankly, I could make a difference for the company, its customers, and its shareholders. You know, there's an old saying that goes, a good idea is a job half done. I felt like Zometica had some really good ideas for the market and a substantial war chest of capital, about $271 million when I joined. I also saw, though, that it needed a team to bring those good ideas to fruition. And that's an area that I felt I could contribute in. And so I felt I was the right person for the job. Tell us a little bit more about your background, actually. You know, what, what were some of the events in your career that prepared you to take on this role at Zometica? Sure. So I, I began my career in a medical device uh, market uh, with a company called U.S. Surgical. Later, it was Covidian and then Medtronic that we pioneered surgical stapling, and then we pioneered minimally invasive laparoscopic surgery for general and thoracic surgeons. I was there over 18 years. I eventually ran a company as a business unit for Tyco Healthcare, which then became Covidian. And I saw a tremendous amount of innovation and growth and product launches, most successful, some not so much, but was able to learn from both. Since then, I've led companies in diagnostics and therapeutics, both private and public, mostly uh, from a startup phase, uh, but also a couple that were in need of a turnaround. Zometica has all the ingredients in place, I think, to make for a very successful company. I have experience in leading companies large and small. I have experience in launching uh, both de novo products, uh, brand new products to the marketplace, and also products against established competitors. I also have experience with mergers and acquisition, having acquired product lines and companies and executing their integration. So all that experience, I thought, led me to this opportunity to do some of each of those things to good effect here at Zometica. Got it. All right. So let's dive deeper into the business itself right now. You know, what, what, are, what are the company's full slate of products and services and how is what Zometica is selling unique and different compared to your peers? Sure. So currently we're marketing in two areas, diagnostics and more recently therapeutics. Our diagnostic platform is the Trueforma system that can provide a diagnostic result within about 20 minutes. We offer the instrument to the clinic today with no capital outlay required through our customer appreciation program. And they purchase the individual assay cartridges to run the test. We currently offer only three assays, but it includes the only feline optimized test for thyroid stimulated hormone, TSH, available anywhere. We'll soon be launching another unique test, this one for endogenous ACTH in the second quarter. And we intend to continuously develop and launch additional assays, many of which will be unique to the Trueforma platform. On the therapeutic side, we recently acquired PulseFet, which is the worldwide market leader in shockwave therapy for equine patients. Their treatment prov promotes rapid post-surgical healing, addresses lameness, soreness, tendon injuries, and osteoarthritis, among a number of other things. With the launch recently of an accessory product that makes the treatment applicable to the small animal market, we're now busy rolling this out to clinics in the U.S. and several international locations as well. Great. And, and to follow up with all that, um, you know, how would you say, you know, on both the diagnostics and the therapeutic side, you would say Zometica is unique and different compared to your peers? Well, in the case of, of, uh, of the Trueforma assay uh, system, 
Um, we're providing that instrument at no capital with no capital required up front, as opposed to other systems that may require them to purchase the, the device. We're taking the long view there and looking at the total lifetime economic value of the customer. Um, the other thing is that some of our assays are truly unique. You can't get a feline optimized TSH test for your cat uh, anywhere, uh, not in clinic, not in a reference lab, not anywhere. So it, it is a function of both our business model and our presentation to the customer, as well as to uh, the uniqueness of certain products that we're developing. Uh, with respect to PulseVet, um, it is the market leader for a reason. And the reason is that it's highly, it's highly effective. There are, uh, I think one of the big differentiating factors is that there are other products out there that resemble shockwave therapy, um, but there's none that have the clinical evidence dating back years that shows the mechanisms of action and the true efficacy as, long, as well as the safety of the products. Got it. And so I wanted to follow up on, on both sides and, and specifically to the diagnostic side. You know, how do you evaluate which assays that you might consider wanting to bring on board? And then also, why did you, why, why is the company focused on the assays it currently has right now? So with respect to the assays, there's a, there's sort of a, a, a decision that needs to be made around and a balance that needs to be struck between those assays that are highly differentiated and unique and provide something new to the clinic that they can't get elsewhere. Um, that's a, a tremendous motivation to bring that particular system in. But of course, the more unique and differentiated that they are, uh, the less likely that there is uh, existing usage for those. And so that usage uh, starts slow and is built with uh, clinical education efforts. Uh, that's why we do webinars and we do, um, we do uh, have present, sponsor presentations at trade shows. We sponsor clinical research to build those over time. On the other side are assays that are more commonly used. Our other two assays that are available today are Total T4 and Cortisol, which are uh, used much more often. And so we like to strike a balance between those assays that will um, maybe get us in the door because you can't get those anywhere else. And then once you have the machine and you're using it for that, you know, very proprietary assay, then you have everything you need to run the additional more higher volume assays as well. So as we move forward, uh, we utilize market research to identify existing usage of assays and we look for gaps in the marketplace uh, so that, you know, customers see that they're getting something that's going to provide true unique value. And then as they appreciate the benefits of it, then they're off and running. Got it. And, and do you, normally uh, develop them in-house or do you use, do, or do you also look at various uh, uh, acquisitions out there? So we have a, a unique collaboration with Corvo, Bio, Corvo Biotechnologies, which is a subsidiary of Corvo. Corvo um, developed this, the bulk acoustic wave sensor, which is the fundamental uh, driver of the accuracy of our, of our devices. We provide reference lab quality accuracy at the point of care. There are other machines out there that are able to provide in-clinic diagnostics, uh, but they're not so accurate. And so oftentimes they need to be sent out to external labs or reference labs. Um, so Corvo uh, manufactures, they develop on our behalf and manufacture the assays for us currently. And we purchase them from them and then of course sell them out into the marketplace. 
Got it. What, what's that conversation like with, with vets or do you tend when you're going out on the sales, on the sales trail where your, your team does, I, I mean, you might still be doing that too. I, you know, I've been know. there. <laughs> so, you know, what's that conversation like with the vets? Are they saying, Hey, we're <clears throat> contacting you because we need this, or are you going out, you know, vet to vet saying, Hey, these are the diagnostics that we have, try these out, you know, and then, you know, they come back to you to potentially get more. Well, the conversation with the vet centers around the disease state um, and how they uh, preferably would diagnose a particular disease like Cushing's or Addison's or hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism. And when we, so for example, with the TSH assay, we'll discuss the disease state and we'll discuss how the current assays available for TSH are all optimized for the canine patient and how the, the dynamic range of that test does not include the sort of subtle differentiation that you really need to be able to, to tell what the situation is with the cat. So when they see that, then they say, well, this gives us the tools I need that I don't have now and can't get anywhere else. And so I no longer have to use you know, other tests that might point me or get me close to a diagnosis. I can use this one that will, that will uh, help me zero in right off the bat. Um, so it's really around, you know, the, it's really around the disease state and how this meets a need that they have in their practice. They don't really care about another machine or, or another assay just for the sake of it. What they care about is being able to perfect their diagnostic uh, regimen so that they can be more accurate with their, with their, uh, with their, with their pet patients. Uh, and then of course, you know, I think the, the rather obvious benefit of being able to get those results right away uh, is appealing to them. And we discussed that as well. Got it. And then on the therapeutic side, I mean, is the ultimate goal that you want to have the therapeutics available for those same vets where say, okay, we have the diagnostic to show you that there's an issue. Here you go. Now here's the therapy. I mean, I'm sure that's probably the long-term goal. I'm, I'm sure. Well, as you know, with, uh, or, as you heard me say, we have quite a substantial balance sheet and we're looking to acquire additional technologies in the future. And the, I think the sort of unicorn out there in terms of a potential acquisition target would be a company that provided therapeutics for the diseases that we can uniquely diagnose. That'd be great. But a lot of times the diseases that we're diagnosing are, are things that are going to be best served by uh, by. Uh, uh, medicine, a prescription, some sort of a drug regimen, and we're not going to get into that, that part of the business. And so rather the thing that ties everything together that we do is we are looking for products that will benefit first and foremost, the pet, the pet parent, but also the practice itself. When we walk in to discuss with a veterinarian, what we really want them to do is say, well, I'm glad to see you because every time you come with a new product, it's something that, that, is good for my patients, it's good for their parents, and it's good for my practice. So I wanted to take actually a little, uh, maybe a baby step back, because there might be folks who are listening to this that are like, the animal health market, what I don't even understand from a regulatory side of things, how the heck that's different from the human health side of things. So as someone that's worked in both, you know, can you tell us what, what is the main difference from that regulatory perspective? Uh, from a regulatory standpoint, it's the difference for devices and diagnostic products that do not in and of themselves provide a diagnosis, but rather provide information. And then the, and then the veterinarian makes a diagnosis. It's night and day. 
Um, in the animal health market, um, there is no pre-market approval required by the FDA. The FDA uh, exercises oversight over animal health generally, uh, but they do that sort of in response to uh, issues that may appear in the field. So if, for example, a company launched a product into the animal health market and it proved to be uh, unsafe or had uh, some other issue surrounding it, um, then they would notify the FDA and the FDA would then come visit the company. Um, other than that, we're, of course, regulated by, uh, by FDA and, uh, and other agencies uh, with respect to labeling. Uh, products cannot be misbranded or mislabeled. And so we take due care to make sure that, that all of that is in order. And, um, and frankly, I, I think the kind of people that work here at PulseVet and the, I mean, at uh, Zometica and PulseVet and the people that we've, uh, I've met so far in other industries here within animal health, I don't think there's a single one that would ever take a chance on launching a product that they didn't know was super safe and effective. Um, it's because I think first and foremost, people that work here are animal lovers. Right. Absolutely. And, um, and so that's, that provides a real opportunity to move quickly in the market. Uh, something that's not actually possible in the human health market most of the time. Right. So uh, my next question, this might be a dumb question, but I've interviewed so many, uh, you know, uh, folks that are working in animal health. I've never actually asked this one. So indulge me here. Is there, is there a certain animal or type of disease within an animal that is the most difficult uh, one to, to, to penetrate right now? You know, let's, whether it's like multiple sclerosis in dogs or, you know, something like that. I mean, is, is there something out there that's kind of like the golden goose that everyone's working for, towards? Well, with my vast experience of about five months in the field, <laughs> I'm happy to opine. I think just like in human health, cancer is uh, number one cause of, mm -hmm. of death of animals. Right. And so, you know, that's, I think, the holy grail for, for all of us. Um, having said that, I think it varies a bit by breed, right? So some breeds are known to develop certain conditions or ailments um, that are essentially inevitable. Um, and, and yet there are some treatments that, that I've heard about uh, that would allow that animal to be treated almost, uh, well, when they're a puppy and then if they're a dog and then not develop that particular condition going forward. So I think that's something that's, that's very uh, interesting to us, not working on it right now and in uh, full disclosure, but um, having heard that, I thought, boy, wouldn't that be great if we could get that to be, uh, to be widespread. The PulseFed product, I think is, is one that is very useful in that regard for the particular condition of osteoarthritis. And so there's a particular surgery, TPLO surgery, that some dogs, certain breeds often have to have. And it's known, it's very well established that if you have that surgery, you're going to develop, that, that animal is gonna develop osteoarthritis after a certain period of time. And what we found, and there's, there's a ream of clinical data that shows that this is the case. What we found is that is that treating the animal post-surgery with the PulseFed shockwave therapy actually prevents or at least delays the onset of osteoarthritis for a considerable period of time. Uh, so that's, um, those are the kinds of things that, that we look for. But other than that, I think it's, uh, you know, 
it's old age. Uh, we all, we all, all pet lovers have, have all had that experience unless they're, you know, little kids and haven't, haven't been around that long. Um, and the, and the conditions that are associated with that. So especially with the PulseFed product, being able to delay the onset of those or to relieve those, um, it's really gratifying for everyone. Absolutely. So that, so going back to the, to the business itself, you know, sure. uh, based on the, on the current products that and services uh, right now on both the diagnostic and therapeutic side, what, what, what would you say is the size of the total addressable market? And then what is your current market penetration right now? Yeah, it's huge. Uh, market is huge. There are about 35,000 clinics in the United States alone. About 2,400 of those are equine practices and about 2,400 are equine and small animal mixed practices. So around 30,000 uh, small animal clinics in the U.S. Um, penetration, pulse vet penetration is significant. They're in a bit over 1,100 practices in the United States, mostly equine practices. So if you look just at the equine practices and disregard the small animal, it's about 47% penetrated. If you expand to include the mixed practices and say, well, you know, let's look at the total market there, it's 25% penetrated. So penetration is definitely achievable with this product. When we expand the market to include small animals though, it's only 3% penetrated. So this presents a great opportunity for growth. It was the main driver between or behind us acquiring PulseFed. Just reaching 25% penetration in the total market, including now small animals, would provide an additional nearly 9,000 customers. It's like an eightfold increase. Now in 2021, PulseFed produced revenues of roughly 12 million. So you multiply that times eight and the revenues grow to 100 million for only 25% penetration. When you look at outside the U.S., generally people just take that times two. So when you look at in the U, back to the U.S., the total addressable market for all clinics, if they all got a pulse vet device, we generate about a billion dollars in capital sales and generate about 200, 200 million a year in consumable sales because the pulse vet system is a generator and a, a, a handpiece called a trode that is preloaded with a, a about 50 treatments and then needs to be sent back and recharged uh, once those treatments are used up. And so each of those, each time we're basically reselling that trode every time they go through 50 treatments. Um, so huge market opportunity uh, in the US and equally outside the US. In diagnostics, all 35,000 clinics uh, would benefit from a true form of instrument in our opinion. Uh, once we have the assays for equine customers as well. And we're busy about that business, right? We see synergies uh, between the two companies, between the two markets. So if you take 35,000 clinics, multiply that times the number of assays used by the number of assays we have available, and you come up with a very large number. However, penetration is currently very small because we just launched last year and right around the second quarter of uh, third quarter of last year, we only have three assays on the market. As we grow, that penetration we think will be, you know, obviously uh, uh, will grow with us, uh, but currently it's low. So one quick follow-up on that point, and, and thank you for that, that overview on, on the TAM. It, from time to identifying an assay you want to bring under the Zometica roof to time to market, what's that average time look like? 
18 months. About 18 months? Yep. Yeah. From testing to then, or seeing if there's a mark, all that? Yep. Gotcha. And when we do, when we, we consider it ready for launch, when we not only have an assay that we know can run on the machine um, and do it consistently and accurately and so on, um, but also one where we establish the reference ranges and what those ranges mean to the customer. We do that uh, through uh, collaborations with universities, and we also then go out to clinics themselves. And we make sure that no matter if you're a university that are handling, uh, generally using samples that they take out of their freezer and are handling them in a pristine university lab environment, um, but we also make sure that it works in the clinic where they're using uh, blood and serum that they just acquired from the animal and maybe not as uh, uh, pristine, let's say, uh, in terms of handling them. And so that, that adds about three months to the process uh, after, you know, theoretically we could get it to market, uh, but we feel that that's important. And so, you know, while it's, uh, it's painful during those three months to have an assay that, you know, works, uh, but, uh, but, we take the time to make sure. Absolutely. And you touched on this a little bit earlier, but wanted to get that full picture. What does the competitive landscape look like? I mean, are there other, are there other folks competing directly with you or is it more bigger players with, you know, maybe small exposure or something like that? Well, so on the, on the diagnostic side, the competition includes uh, primarily external labs that veterinarians use to obtain test results. But there are also a couple of companies that offer in-house diagnostic platforms. Um, providing the results at the point of care provides obvious benefits over sending them out and waiting to get the results back. So our competition with, with reference labs is uh, of a certain kind. You know, we provide a significant benefit and so on. And our test results are as accurate as they would provide. And so we're really competing on the convenience and the time to diagnosis. With respect to other in-house diagnostics, our proprietary bulk acoustic wave technology provides reference lab accuracy, and it's been documented many times, and that's superior to any other devices on the market. Plus the uniqueness of our tests in some cases allows significant differentiation as well. So it's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty uh, attractive uh, market for us. Uh, for PulseVet, like I said, I think there's a couple of other devices that resemble um, uh, shockwaves treatment, um, but they just don't come close to the efficacy. Uh, there's been one of the things that PulseVet did that we really appreciate is over the years, they've generated a, a significant amount of clinical evidence that provides documentation of the safety and efficacy of the treatment. Um, you know, in the human health market, that's always the case. You always have clinical data. What I found, one of the differences in the animal health market is that it's rarely the case that products come to market with the clinical data. Um, but having had that, I think is the, probably the main reason why PulseFed has become the worldwide market leader uh, in shockwave therapy, because they have that data uh, and they use that data to, of course, refine the product over the years. What, what would you say investors get most confused when they, you know, let's say they saw you present or maybe even did a, or, or saw your presentation. What, what, what's, what, what do they get most confused about when they think about Zometica? I think most, I, I think some investors, 
they don't appreciate the time it takes to develop and launch a diagnostic assay product and build a revenue stream. Right. They might appreciate the. They, they, they probably don't have insight into the length of time it takes to develop it and, and launch it, um, but we could tell them how long it takes. And as long as we set the cadence up correctly and we have a, a, a series of assays that are always under development so that 18 months from now and 20 months and 24 months, we, we have assays coming online. Um, but but it's, really the, it's really the time to build the revenue stream that I think... Uh, some people miss, right? On the one hand, the more unique your assay is, the better off you are in terms of getting entree to the customer and building a loyal, a lifetime loyal customer. Uh, but there is also customer education that needs to occur. And it takes time to get that data out into the marketplace so that utilization increases. And that's why we sponsor uh, programs all across the board for veterinarians uh, in a number of different uh, areas. We take a lifetime value approach to the customer. Um, we're foregoing upfront capital revenue, and we're aware that revenue will build slowly, steadily, but slowly on a per assay basis. Uh, but we're focused on the future when dozens of assays are available, and we have built a installed base that uh, is significant. Got it. And so... My next question is, you know, what what is then the thesis that if realized, you know, these are the inflection points that will lead to growth in shareholder value? I think um, I think it's the things that we've talked about, right? It's it's first the growth of the installed base of the Truforma diagnostic instruments, because as we build that base, we're we're creating new we're creating customers for all of our future products in that platform, right? So when you come out with the platform, initially you have to go in and introduce it to the customer and talk about the things that we talked about earlier, and then they bring it in. Uh, and there's a cost associated with that, with your, well, with the instrument itself and with the field sales, taking the time and so on and so forth. But when we launch the next assay and the next assay and the next assay, there are no additional customer acquisition costs. Um, there is no additional training required for the machine. It is, um, we expect it to be most likely, oh, you have another assay, great, how do I get it? And um, all of the assay itself uh, is run on the machine. The results are provided to a portal uh, that we provide them called MisoMedica. And that MisoMedica portal uh, is updated. <clears throat> and when it's updated, they see new assays as they come online, they simply have to click another button and they get that new assay. And so the building of the installed base, I think is one of the, the key inflection points when they see that. Development and launch, of course, of the additional two forma assays. Um, penetration of the small animal market with pulse vet products is very significant. And I think that uh, our shareholders will be very pleased when they see how we're doing with that. Uh, and then strategic acquisition of additional product lines or companies with complementary products, all leading to profitability. So not to use a, an analogy from a completely different sector, but it, it sounds like on the, for the diagnostic side, it's like, okay, here, take the iPhone and then you make it more sticky by continuing to add different apps on there so that now, oh, okay, well, there's, there's some use here because now I, there's all these different apps that I need. Is that, that's the concept basically. That would be a very good analogy if Apple was the one that was provided, if they had a closed system and they were the only ones providing the apps and they got revenue each time those apps was used. Mm -hmm. 
And that's really our model, right? Is that, is that no other assay can be run on our machine. Uh, and uh, as a result, we will, we generate revenue from that. It's, I'll tell you, it's like the classic razor and razor blade model where you give them the handle, you give them the razor and, and you sell them the blades. And anyone that's, that's gone to buy a pack of five blades for their fancy handle knows those companies are making quite a bit of, uh, of uh, revenue from those blades. Right. I mean, so they how can much afford to give us the handle? Right. I mean, how, how much are the machines? I mean, what's what is the the capital outlay to then realize the the future potential when they when they take on the assets? So we provide the the instrument. That's what we call the machine, right? We we provide the box uh, with no capital outlay required by the veterinarian. Customer appreciation program. You take the box as long as you're using our assays. You keep the box. And, um, and so we're foregoing that capital revenue right? and instead focusing on the revenue of the assets. Got it. And, and those I mean, vary based upon the, those based vary, those vary in price based upon the utility, based upon the competitive assets that may be available, based upon the value that they provide. Got it. All right. So uh, the next few questions I want to ask you is a little bit more on the corporate side. You know, sure. you, you just, you just brought up, um, you know, looking at potential strategic uh, acquisitions potentially down the road. Um, so this next question has to do with capital allocation. You know, how do you think about capital allocation? What is your capital allocation strategy look like for Somatica moving forward? Well, since we have a very solid balance sheet with substantial cash on hand, we have, uh, as of the end of last year, we have about 195 million on hand in cash. We have plenty of resources to invest in developing the diagnostic business by building the customer base through the customer appreciation program. That's an investment in that business um, and providing the clinical and, and marketing education support to the community to build utilization over time, building the sales channel uh, to expand the size of the field sales force, expanding inside sales capabilities and and using all of the technology that's available today to reach the customers. So we have plenty of capital resources to do whatever, uh, whatever good ideas that we might come up with, we have the resources to be able to, capital, to, to, uh, to execute them. Um, having said that, uh, our sites are set on acquisitions of additional product lines and our companies that benefit pets, pet parents and vets, and a substantial portion of our capital is earmarked for those efforts. Very good. And and how much, if at all, have your shareholders influence your decision making process? Hmm. So there's a there's a classic line that all companies use as their mission, which is to build shareholder value. And of course, we're no different. But at Zobetica, we think that we do that. We live that every day. Um, it means that the needs of the shareholders to see that additional value drives what we do. And we see our, our interests as synonymous. Now, that's not to say that we please everyone all the time or that we see eye to eye uh, with all of our shareholders on all subjects. You know, an example would be, I think some shareholders would see our uh, cash balance and suggest that we buy back shares because they think that would increase the share price. We see it differently in that 
We believe that a better use of our capital would be to utilize that to either market our existing products or acquire new and additional products. And for the long term, that that will result in much more uh, growth in shareholder value over time. Uh, so we're not necessarily seeing eye to eye on all issues at all times, but what we are doing is, is very much in line with what that shareholder is, is looking to get accomplished, which is to build value in the company that they own. You know, I only have a few more questions left, and, and this is one that I'm, I'm asking everybody. What makes you, what, what gets you up in the morning? You know, what, what makes you most excited to be at Zometica, running this company? And then, you know, likewise, on the other side, what's just a drag? I mean, <laughs> no other way to put it, I guess. Just what, you know, what, what's been a drag and what, what gets you excited? Well, you know, John F. Kennedy used to quote Aristotle when he said that happiness is the full use of your powers along lines of excellence, right? So this position requires the full use of my powers uh, because there are so many opportunities that can be realized here. Um, and excellence is something that you bring with you. Uh, with the team that we've assembled here over the last, well, there are certainly people that were here when I arrived, but we've, uh, we've actually added a, a number of senior leaders in the company over the last uh, four or five months. And with the excellence that they're bringing, uh, I can tell you that happiness is real, right? Um, so I, I enjoy uh, being able to, to work with others for a common goal. And, um, and I enjoy working with the people here. Uh, the drag, I think the same things that other people uh, don't enjoy. Uh, we're located in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I just moved here uh, not too long ago. It's cold and icy and snowy, uh, but I look forward to the summertime. Um, and of course, you know, paperwork is is not one of my favorite things. And there's obviously a lot of paperwork as well. Um, but the days that are the most fun is when I can get out in the field and visit uh, customers or get to a, a, an animal health conference and uh, and visit lots of customers. So I think it's a combination of things, just like in any position at any level. Listen, I, I, I'm, the right answer was for things that are a drag would be talking to me, you know, but I, <laughs> you know, next time. But um, so, that, so Larry, what, what does success, I mean, we talked about it a little bit already, but, you know, holistically, what would you say success and what does failure look like? Maybe start with failure and then we'll, add, we'll, we'll have the positive note at the end. Well, frankly, I'd like to think failure is not an option. And realistically, we have a very strong balance sheet to promote our existing products and to make acquisitions that will add to the product portfolio. So as long as we execute, we're in super good shape. I'm not saying that, that we intend to make mistakes, but let's life. And from time to time, we'll make a misstep or here, but we have the resources available to recover quickly. Uh, if that act, if that happens, or as that happens, I should say. Uh, so, not really too focused on failure. Instead, success. That's that's why I came, and that's why the people are here. Success is something we achieve every day by providing the tools to accurately diagnose an animal's condition, enabling quick treatment, or providing a shockwave therapy to a dog that literally couldn't run to fetch the paper anymore. And now it can. 
Success is executing our strategic plan to continue to build the installed base of Truforma platforms and our portfolio of assays for the device. It's continuing to penetrate the market for small animals with the use of the PulseFed system. We're off to a really good start with that, by the way. And it's continuing to acquire product lines or companies that complement the other products in the portfolio. It's bringing those products and systems and, and initiatives and programs together where the sum of the parts is truly much greater than the individual parts added together. What would you say down? What what is the downside risk? You know, when investors are thinking about Zometica or you know asking those you know devil's advocate type questions, you know what what do you tend to tell them is the company's downside risk? This company is is potentially unique. It's certainly uh, unique in the companies that I've been associated with over a pretty long career, in that we have substantial capital, right? You need to be able to succeed in the marketplace and to do well and avoid failure and avoid the downside risks. You need human resources, you need human capital, you need capital, and you need technology. Um, and most times companies that, that, that uh, spiral down, if you will, is because they've got plenty of ideas, right? But a good idea is a job half done. And what they don't have, they don't have, they lack the resources whether they be capital or their human resources, to be able to execute a plan. And when that plan goes awry or they encounter things that they uh, didn't expect, that they don't have the resources to be able to recover from a setback or to overcome an obstacle that might require more time or more data or whatever the case may be. In our case, we've got the resources to be able to do that. I think the downside risk is that we don't, that there may be a scenario where we wouldn't grow as fast as we could have grown had we not done this or had we only done that. But if you look at, you know, if you look at the, the I mean, especially investors that are investing today, if you look at the share price, you look at the enterprise value of the company, um, you know, they're not too far different. Um, so, you know, it's not for me to, 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 uh, to say that, the stock price is going to do this or that. It's going to do whatever the market, whatever the market delivers. Uh, but in the case of this company, we're going to successfully execute our plan. And uh, while we're always looking at risks, uh, the reason I don't have a good answer to that question is I've not, I've not seen something that can, that can destroy value here. Um, right. So it's just a matter of the pace of growth. I will tell you that when I, when I was doing my own diligence before I came on board with the company, um, and my wife is my partner in all things, so she likes to hear about what I'm, you know, hearing and talking about, and uh, and I got off the phone and she was kind of listening, half listening to the conversation, and and uh, she said, "What well, sounded like there was a problem?" And I said, "Well, yeah, there's a, a bit of a you know a bit of a hiccup or a problem or whatever it was." And she said, oh, well, are you, are you still going to, to take the opportunity? We lived in Florida and she was kind of wanting to know if we were going to be moving to Michigan after all. And I just kind of looked at her and I said, honey, there is no problem that cannot be overcome with $271 million in the bank. I mean, it just, it, it just, it just provides you with the, 
with the luxury of being able to make decisions and execute them without worrying about uh, a lot of uh, things that could happen. Absolutely. All right. Well, Larry, uh, to close us out here today, um, this question, I ask it because, yes, you, you already explained, you know, what you enjoy about being, you know, leader of a company, you know, being being <clears throat> CEO. But there's that big difference between, you know, just CEO of a private company and CEO of a public company. Now that you're the CEO of a public company, you know, do you enjoy it? I mean, it's a lot. Uh, you know, like I said, I joked earlier that one of the drags, you got to talk to guys like me. But, you know, there's quite a few of us that you have to talk to, you know, uh, along with just your own duties of running the company on the day to day. So do, do you enjoy being a public company CEO? Uh, in a word, yes. Um, you know, I, I grew up, so to speak, professionally at U.S. Surgical Corporation. It was a public company. Um, I've run a public company before earlier in my career, one that was in need of a turnaround. And. The difference I found is, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, scared off by the Sarbanes-Oxley rules and regulations or whatever. They were put in place to make sure that our shareholders knew that they were getting good information, that they were, that they were receiving the same information, whether they were a major holder with an in in the company, or they were someone in the retail market that just bought, uh, you know, 100 shares because they love animals and they love what we do here at, uh, at Zometica. Um, and so I, I think those rules are all in, a, in place for, for a good reason. And I don't have any issue with us uh, being in total compliance with them. Um, I think the, and the other thing is, is that when you're, when you're in a private company, you, you still get the questions. Uh, you get them from investors that are much more concentrated and, uh, you know, and generally are, are not as happy with the answers, let's say. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think uh, that's not really been an issue. Um, and so I, I enjoy what I do. Full use of your powers along, along lines of excellence. I'm a happy man. Very cool. Well, Larry, this has been great. Thank you so much for spending the time with me today. Before I let you go, where can our audience go and find more information on Zometica? So our website is www.zometica.com. And I encourage you to come check us out. Be happy to happy to welcome you in. Larry, thank you so much again. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.